Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Be okay, so Nehemiah 7 and verse 1. It says, then it was when the wall was built and I had hung the doors, when the gatekeepers, the singers, and the Levites had been appointed, that I gave the charge of Jerusalem to my brother Hanani, or Hanani, and Hananiah, the leader of the citadel, for he was a faithful man and feared God more than many. And I said to them, do not let the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun is hot and while they stand guard. Let them shut and bar the doors and appoint guards from among the inhabitants of Jerusalem, one at his watch station and another in front of his own house. Okay, so don't open the gates until the sun is hot. That means uh, if they, those gates were here, they'd be open pretty much all day long over here in, in, in Texas. But uh, Nehemiah, you see, he knew there were still enemies that were out there sneaking around. And so he needed to maintain security while the last of the walls were finished up, and Nehemiah knew that he could trust these two men. He had a a particular trust with these two guys as helpers for uh, securing the town, uh, not just because they were his friends and family, but because they had a proven track record. They had a long-standing proven track record already. Hanani is the guy in chapter 1. If you remember, when this whole thing got started, Hanani is the guy that brought the report to Nehemiah that Jerusalem was having problems. And so that's why uh, Nehemiah knew we got to get over there and build the wall. Hanani is the guy that brought him this news in the first place. So you can tell that Hanani had a genuine, loyal concern for the Jewish people. And so Nehemiah knew that he could trust Hanani because he brought that information to him in the first place. Something's got to be done in Jerusalem. So that's when this whole mission to get to Jerusalem and build the wall started was off of Hanani. Good for him. And Hananiah, it says, this guy had a deep fear of the Lord more than most people did. And that says a lot these days. Uh, These days I look around and I don't see a whole lot of fear of the Lord anymore. Uh, People just do what they want to do. If they had a real fear of the Lord, They would try to find out who God is. They'd be studying his word. They'd be trying to find out who is this God that I'm supposed to be serving. They would want to know more, but they just don't have a fear of the Lord God, of what God will do against sin. That's something I realized in recent studies um, of, of in Mark that we've been going through and some other studies is that how fierce, angry God is at sin. We've really got to understand that. So he had a fear of the Lord. And so he was going to be very serious about whatever God's will was for the people of Jerusalem. So these two men, they could be well-trusted to take over a lot of this work because they had proven their integrity. They would never compromise Jerusalem's security. And they were wise enough to stay in tune with God's instruction through Nehemiah so that an enemy could not sneak in and attack them. These guys really 
had proven over a long period of time that they were on board with the mission. So Nehemiah ordered the gates were only to be allowed open for a few hours each day. This would put a, probably they put a security team uh, right there at the gate to check people out pretty much, I guess, like they do at airports today. So it was never let your guard down. There's too many people that want to kill us. We only going to open the gates at certain times. We need some security guys out there that with not just anybody, but proven guys that know what God's will is. And they're, they're, they're not going to let people come in that want to kill them. Nehemiah seven, verse four about the captives who returned to Jerusalem. Now the city was large and spacious, but the people in it were few and the houses were not rebuilt. Then my God put it into my heart to gather the nobles, the rulers, and the people, that they might be registered by genealogy. And I found a register in the genealogy of those who had come up in the first return and found written in it, these are the people of the province who came back from the captivity of those who had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away, and who returned to Jerusalem and Judah everyone to his city. Those who came with Zerubbabel were Jeshua and stop. I am not going to read all these names that so many of you came to hear me try to work through. And I told you I had a surprise for you. I'm not going to do it. Okay. I'm just not going to do it. Now that the wall was finished, Nehemiah, he wanted to populate Jerusalem with people of pure Jewish ancestry. That was their land. He wanted only people of pure ancestry of the Jewish people because there weren't that many people living there yet. They got the wall up. They got gates and everything. Okay, we got security, but where's all the people? We got to fill this place. So having more people return to live in the city, that would further fortify the city and that would increase the security, you know, strength in numbers. It's better for everybody. Plus, this is the place that the Lord God gave them. So he went and found a record of the Jews who had come back the first time under Zerubbabel. If you remember, he's the guy that came back first from the Babylonian captivity. Now, this list that you go through it yourself if you want to, this list, it matches with what Ezra chapter 2 has to say because they're similar. They, these stories parallel each other. And Nehemiah was driven to put Jews back in the land of Israel because that was God's promise to his people that it would be their land to live in. So you got to get those people back in there. Getting the people back in the land would be a furtherance of the fulfillment of God's promise to have them there. So Nehemiah, he was definitely operating in accordance to God's will. For Christians, we need to learn how to operate in accordance to God's will. That's Again, I keep nailing why you need to read your Bible so that you know what God's will is. If you don't know what his will is, then anything you choose to do is probably going to be disobedience because you don't have a clue what God expects of you. So if you read the verses ahead, a list, here's a summary, of 18 families and clans and a list of people who lived in 20 different cities. In this list of people that you're going to go through that you see ahead there, there's 4,289 priests that are going to be talked about uh, somewhere between 39 and maybe 42, verses 39 to 42. There's 360 Levites that are mentioned with singers, because you know we're going to have praise in the city. That's Jerusalem, right? 360 Levites and singers and gatekeepers from verses 43 to 45. 
verses 57 to 59, it talks about temple servants and the descendants of servants that actually worked for King Solomon. So you've got this direct lineage of people going on here. Verses 61 to 62, it has 642 people who had no records that they could not determine their ancestry at all. So there's my summary without reading the names. I would rather do the summary than read the names, because if I read you the names and give you the summary, then what good is it? Except here's a lot of people, right? So I give you the summary. That's my easy way out. Now skip all the way down to verse 64. Just some of y'all might even be the next page. I don't know. (laughs) Nehemiah 7, verse 64. These sought their listing among those who were registered by genealogy, but it was not found. Therefore, they were excluded from the priesthood as defiled. And the governor said to them that they should not eat of the most holy things till a priest could consult with the Urim and Thummim. Now, nobody gets to tell me I said those words wrong because you don't know how to say it yourself, do you? Urim and Thummim or Urim and Thummim, and I don't know, but it's what it is. It's, it's just, here's my text, and Urim and Thummim. So, There were some priests that couldn't trace their ancestry. They had no direct record stating to their pure Jewish roots. So Nehemiah, being as strict as he had to be, remember, this was for the people. It was for the safety of the people. Again, you go through the airport, they're strict. It's for your safety, right? Nehemiah had to be strict. And as governor with the authority to do this, uh, he restricted these people from being priests. He says, I'm sorry, you can't be priests. You can't even eat the priest's food until another priest can come and minister to you with the Urim and Thummim. Now, you're asking, what in the world is the Urim and Thummim? I love it when we get to this because it's just a fascinating topic. This Urim and Thummim, they were some mysterious stones. Uh, They're all through the Bible many times. They are these mysterious stones, and nobody knows exactly how they were used or what they even looked like. All we know is they were two stones. Uh, Maybe they were different colors. Maybe they threw them like we throw dice. Uh, Somehow or another, they were used to determine decisions from the Lord. Now, okay, the reason for these stones is we got these people. Are we in the lineage or not? How do we know? I don't know. Well, let's get a priest and... Stay out of the priesthood. Don't eat the priest's food. We'll go to these stones with a priest and we'll consult with the Lord. I I know this sounds weird. If you have never heard of these before and you're thinking, Ray, what did you drag us into? Well, I didn't write this, but I want to give you some other examples of the Urim and Thummim. And it starts with Proverbs 16 and 33. It says, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So again, it's like if you were to throw dice, how those dice turn up, the Lord's going to determine that. Please do not try to go gambling like this. I don't think the Lord's going to uh, honor that, okay? But one uh, story that we have seen this happen is you remember the story of Jonah and the whale. How did he end up getting in that whale? We all know about him being in the whale, but how did he get there in the first place? Well, Jonah was told by God to go do something. He says, I don't want to do it. So he ran away from God. He took a ship to run away, to sail off, but they ran into a storm and they were about to sink. And out of desperation, the sailors figured that Jonah had angered his God for that storm that was about to kill them. So it says in Jonah 1 verse 7, it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for, for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. 
So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they probably cast lots many times and every time it probably came down on Jonah because we just read God controls the outcome of when a lot is cast. So it fell on Jonah, and I think Jonah wanted to escape or die. I don't want to go do this work. So he insisted, hey, just throw me into the sea then. Just throw me overboard. Then I don't have to do what God told me to do, and it'll save yourselves. Just throw me overboard. So they did, and that's how the whale got him, okay? (laughs) But you can see how lot casting was a very common practice to determine decisions from the Lord. We don't have to do that today because we have the indwelling Holy Spirit. We don't throw lots like that. I know that's why it's weird to you. We don't do that because the Holy Spirit talks to us directly. Now, the decision in the story that I just read you, that was not done by the Urim and Thummim because the Urim and Thummim were only handled by priests. I just wanted to give you an example of how they cast lots for decisions. That was a common thing in that day. But another example of this Urim and Thummim, just because I want you to understand how they worked, was from when King Saul's son Jonathan and his armor bearer, they had an enemy that was coming to fight them, and they went to go fight the enemy on their own. And they didn't tell anybody. You know, King Saul was pacing around, what do we do? What do we do? I don't know what to do. He was this terrible leader, right? This enemy was over here, and while he was pacing around, wasting time, Saul's son said to his friend, hey, let's just go fight. Let's just go go do it. So Saul was sitting around trying to figure it out when he heard a big noise of the battle, and he wanted to find out who left the camp to go start this fight before I gave the command for us to fight. Who, who started that? He saw fighting, but I don't know who did it. He called also for the priest to consult the stones, the Urim and Thummim stones. So to, he wanted to see whether God wanted him to run into battle or not. Do we go fight or do we not go fight? So I want you to look at 1 Samuel 14 and 19. It says, now it happened while Saul talked to the priest that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled and they went into the battle. So those stones that we looked at, we don't know the exact nature of it, but we think they're marked in uh, certain ways and they were used by the priests as sacred lots to determine the will of God. And the reason why Saul said, withdraw your hand is because the priest kept those stones in a pocket behind his breastplate. So he said, hey, hey, do we need to fight or not? So the priest showed up, and he started with taking the stones, and he says, forget it, withdraw your hand. We're just going to go in and fight. The priest was about to get the stones out to to use them however they used them to see if we fight or not. He said, withdraw your hand. Like, we don't need the stones anymore. Let's just go. It's like, man, you should have come up with that 10 minutes ago, you know. (laughs) I'm guessing the stones were used like casting the lots, and they maybe determined some kind of a binary answer, a yes or a no which you could narrow down responses down to a final decision answer. So if you remember in Joshua's time, if those of you that studied with me through Joshua, there was this guy named Achan. He committed a bad sin and brought a lot of trouble. And my joke was don't commit a sin or you'll be Achan too, right? So he committed a bad sin somewhere among the people, and they didn't know who did it, so they narrowed it down through all the people. They narrowed it, narrowed it, until they got right down to the guy that did it. And they probably used the Urim and the Thummim stones to do this. They probably divided everybody in half. Lord, is it this half or that half? They used the stones. Okay, it's that half. Y'all are dismissed. Then they cut those people in half again, and they kept narrowing and narrowing until it got all the way down to Achan, the guy that did it. And they did this sort of thing with the Urim and Thummim stones. Here in chapter 7, 
Nehemiah used his authority as governor to restrict these priests that they could not trace their lineage. He restricted them from serving. You can't even eat the food since we're not able to track your ancestry, at least not until another priest could consult and minister to you with the Urim and the Thummim. So they probably took each of these people, each of these priests, they, we can't track you, let's go to the stones, get with a priest, because the priest is the one that had it behind his breastplate, and they were to determine whether they could serve as priest or not. God would guide that decision. I guess my big point that I'm trying to make here in this is that since the records were lost, they would look towards God's decision to restore them back to the family again, back to their kingdom service to determine if they were allowed to come back and enter in or not. Bottom line, they asked the Lord if they could come back in through a priest. That's really the big thing. I know I took you through the stones and all that, but they said, you need to ask the Lord if you can come in through a priest. Hello, Jesus Parallel people. Do you see what I'm saying here? Okay. We don't, we can't track. You're lost. We don't know. You are lost. We have no idea. Let's go to a priest and see if you can come in. And I just love that because that's me in this story. <laughs> oh, God. Whew. Nehemiah 766. Altogether, the whole assembly was 42,360 besides their male and female servants of whom there were 7,337, and they had 245 men and women singers. Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, and donkeys 6,720. So this is Nehemiah's totals going on here, which if you look at what matches up in Ezra 2, it's the same thing. Now, for those of you who will go and look at the numbers, you will see that they are not exactly, and I just said they were the same, but hear me out a minute, they're not exactly, exactly, exactly the same. <laughs> and since I put it before you that they matched, I, I want to show you that this does not mean a contradiction or an error. You're going to say, well, I'm going to go look, because I know people are trying to find fault in the Bible. Well, Ray said Ezra, I'm going to look, and oh, it doesn't match, it can't trust in the Bible. No, that's not it at all. The reason for different totals is that some men, when they made records, they recorded the men only. And when some men recorded records, they included the women and the children. It just depends on how they took the record at the time. For example, in John chapter 6, it says that Jesus fed a multitude of people with two fish and five loaves of bread, specifically stating that the multitude numbered 5,000 men. 5,000 men. Now, does this mean there were men only? No. I'm sure there were women and children there in this multitude. So when you hear the story that Jesus fed 5,000 men with two fish and five loaves, it's quite possible that he actually might have fed ten to 20,000 people, depending on how many women and children were there with each man. They listed as the men as head of families. And so the numbers between Nehemiah 7 and Ezra 2 they might differ a little bit in the numeric figure, but they do match due to the record keeper how he chose to tally up his numbers. But it is the same list. Don't go look and say, no, it's different. It just depends on he, if he included the women and children or not, or if he just numbered men by heads of household. 
I love taking little snippets like this and blowing them all out all over the place because these are why people say that the Bible is full of errors. I've got people all over me that say the Bible is full of errors, so you can't trust it. And I said, well, show me one error. And they'd have no idea where to show me. <laughs> well, you're, you're banking on something. You don't know where it's at. But uh, whenever there seems to be one, I like to draw it out and explain why it's not an error. Okay, It's very important that we know how to do that because people claim there's errors. Nehemiah 7 and 70. And some of the heads of the father's houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 gold drachmas, 50 basins, and 530 priestly garments. Some of the heads of the father's houses gave to the treasury of the work 20,000 gold drachmas and 2,200 silver minas. And that which the rest of the people gave was 20,000 gold drachmas, 2,000 silver minas and 67 priestly garments. So everybody gave. This is uh, the heart of God. The, God's heart is to give, and it should be the heart of Christians. As we walk with Jesus is to be giving, and notice there in verse 70, it says they gave to the work. So they're gearing up for temple work in verse 72 because it says they brought in 67 priestly garments. They're looking forward to the temple, getting back in operation. They're going to get back to godly business in Jerusalem. They're anxious to get close to their God again. Nehemiah seven seventy three. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the Nethanim, and all Israel dwelt in their cities, their cities. Very important that you notice it says that. It didn't just say in cities. It says their cities. So they dwelt in their cities. When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. So in their cities, that's very particular because it means the people have been brought back to areas of inheritance that God had specifically told them they could have. This is your city. I'm giving this area to you. So their ancestors, they they had lived in particular areas in the past that were distributed to the tribes in Joshua's day. If you remember when Joshua came back with the people, he got everybody, we're going to allot your inheritance to all of you, you group of people, you get to go over here, you get to stay over here, right? And so after being gone for over 70 years, you'd think 70 years, it's over, forget it. You know, anybody lived 70 years? Well, I hadn't seen it in my whole lifetime. It must be over with. Well, when God makes a promise, he keeps it. After 70 years, the Israelites were back. They're actually back. And they're not just back anywhere. They got to come back to their cities, just the way God said, I will give you all an inheritance. Friends, you can be lost, lost, gone for a long time. And when God promises you an inheritance, You'll get it, and he will restore it back. So they used genealogical records to tell the people, here's your city that you settle in. This is where your ancestors had lived, according to where their ancestors lived originally. Now, I want you to think about this overall picture here. The Israelites had sinned. They sinned big time for a long time. They worshiped Baal. They really provoked God's wrath made God angry, and they send their way all the way into being dragged away. They had lost their identity as a people. They had lost their relationship with God. But God made them a promise. Thank 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.